chapter five part two of eve of the revolution by carl becker this librivox recording is in the public domain with samuel adams it was a point of principle to avoid discreet conduct as much as possible in his opinion the great crisis which was his soul's abiding place wherein he nourished his mind and fortified his will admitted of no compromise goodwill was of no avail in dealing with the conspirators against our liberties the very essence of whose tactics it was to assume the mask of benevolence and so divide and by dividing disarm the people flattering those who are pleased with flattery forming connections with them introducing levity luxury and indolence and assuring them that if they are quiet the ministry will alter their measures during these years there was no power in the course of events or in the tongue of man to move him in the conviction that if the liberties of america are ever completely ruined it will in all probability be the consequence of a mistaken notion of prudence which leads men to acquiesce in measures of the most destructive tendency for the sake of present ease never therefore were the political affairs of america in a more dangerous state than when the people had seemingly grown weary of altercations and parliament could endure an entire session without one offensive measure the chief danger of all was that the people would think there was no danger millions could never be enslaved by a few if all possessed the independent spirit of brutus who to his immortal honour expelled the proud tyrant of rome during the years of apathy and indifference samuel adams accordingly gave his days and nights with undiminished enthusiasm and a more trenchant acerbity to the task of making brutuses of the men of boston that the fate of rome might not befall america they were assured in many an essay by this new candidus that the liberties of our country the freedom of our civil constitution are worth defending at all hazards and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks we have received them as a fair inheritance from our worthy ancestors they purchased them for us with toil and danger and expense of treasure and blood and transmitted them to us with care and diligence it will bring an everlasting mark of infamy upon the present generation enlightened as it is if we should suffer them to be wrested from us by violence without a struggle or be cheated out of them by the artifices of false and designing men of the latter we are in most danger at present let us therefore be aware of it let us contemplate our forefathers and posterity and resolve to maintain the rights bequeathed to us from the former for the sake of the latter instead of sitting down satisfied with the efforts we have already made which is the wish of our enemies the necessity of the times more than ever calls for our utmost circumspection deliberation fortitude and perseverance let us remember that if we suffer tamely a lawless attack upon our liberty we encourage it and involve others in our doom it is a very serious consideration which should deeply impress our minds that millions yet unborn 
may be the miserable sharers in the event these were days when many a former brutus seemed ready to betray the cause deserted by james otis whom he had supplanted and by john hancock whose great influence he had formerly exploited and whom he had led about like an ape as was currently reported samuel adams suffered a measure of eclipse the assembly would no longer do his bidding in respect to the vital question of whether the general court might be called by the governor to meet outside of boston and it even imposed upon him as one of a committee the humiliating task of presenting an address to mr hutchinson acknowledging his right to remove the legislature to any place he liked to housatonic in the western extreme of the province if he thought fit there was even grave danger that the governor would be satisfied with this concession and would recall the court to sit in boston boston was indeed the very place where samuel adams wished to have it sit but to attain a right end in a wrong manner would be to suffer a double defeat losing at once the point of principle and the grievance necessary for maintaining the contention friends of the government were much elated at the waning influence of the chief incendiary and mr sparhawk condescended to express a certain sympathy for their common enemy now that he was so much diminished harassed dependent in their power it was indeed under great difficulties during these years when massachusetts was almost without annals that samuel adams labored to make brutuses of the men of boston so far deserted by his friends samuel adams might never have succeeded in overcoming these difficulties without the assistance presently rendered by his enemies of those who were of invaluable aid to him in this way thomas hutchinson was one the good governor having read his instructions knew what his duties were one of them manifestly was to stand in defence of government and when government was every day being argumentatively attacked to provide as a counter-irritant arguments in defence of government imagining that facts determined conclusions and conclusions directed conduct mr hutchinson hoped to diminish the influence of samuel adams by showing that the latter's facts were wrong and that his inferences however logically deduced were therefore not to be taken seriously i have taken much pains he says to procure writers to answer the pieces in the newspapers which do so much mischief among the people and have two or three engaged with draper besides a new press and a young printer who says he will not be frightened and i hope for some good effect the governor had read his instructions but not the mind of samuel adams or the minds of the many men who like the chief incendiary were prepared to cultivate the sensations of freedom perhaps the only good effect of his pieces was to furnish excellent theses for samuel adams to dispute upon which he did with unrivalled shrewdness each week in the boston gazette under the thin disguise of candidus valerius poplicola or windex to this last name windex mr hutchinson thought there might appropriately have been added another such as malignus or invidus and indeed of all these disputative essays 
in the boston gazette or in mr draper's paper one may say that the apparent aim was to win a dialectic victory and the obvious result to prove that ill-will existed by exhibiting it thomas hutchinson's faith in the value of disputation was not easily disturbed and after two years when it appeared that his able lieutenants writing in mr draper's newspaper were still as far as ever from bringing the controversy to a conclusion he could no longer refrain from trying his own practised hand at an argument which he did in a carefully prepared address to the general court delivered january sixth seventeen seventy three i have pleased myself for several years he said with hopes that the cause of the present disturbed and disordered state of government would cease of itself and the effect with it but i am disappointed and i may not any longer consistent with my duty to the king and my regard to the interests of the province delay communicating my sentiments to you upon a matter of so great importance the cause of their present difficulties mr hutchinson thought as evident as the fact itself a disturbed state of government having always followed must have been caused by the denial of the authority of parliament to make laws binding the province upon a right resolution of this question everything depended the governor accordingly confined himself to presenting all in good temper a concise and remarkably well articulated argument to prove that no line can be drawn between the supreme authority of parliament and the total independence of the colonies of which argument the conclusion must be inasmuch as the total independence of the colonies was not conceivably any one's thought that supreme authority rested with parliament this conclusion once admitted it was reasonable to suppose that disturbances would cease for if the supremacy of parliament shall no longer be denied it will follow that the mere exercise of its authority can be no matter of grievance in closing his excellency expressed the desire in case the two houses did not agree with his exposition of the constitution to know their objections they may be convincing to me or i may be able to satisfy you of the insufficiency of them in either case i hope we shall put an end to those irregularities whichever will be the portion of a government where the supreme authority is controverted in this roundabout way governor hutchinson finally reached as a conclusion the prepossession with which he began namely that whereas a disturbed state of government is ex hypothesi a vital evil assertions or denials which tend to cause the evil must be unfounded it happened that both houses the lower house especially remained unconvinced by the governor's exposition of the constitution and both houses took advantage of his invitation to present their objections the committee which the lower house appointed to formulate a reply found their task no slight one not from any doubt that mr hutchinson was in error but from the difficulty of constructing an argument that might be regarded as polemically adequate at the request of major hawley john adams was accordingly invited requested and urged to meet the committee which he did every evening till the report was finished when the first draft of a reply 
probably drawn by dr joseph warren was presented to mr adams for his criticism he modestly suggested to them the expediency of leaving out many popular and eloquent periods and of discussing the question with the governor upon principles more especially legal and constitutional there being in this first draft so mr adams thought no answer nor any attempt to answer the governor's legal and constitutional arguments such as they were and so being very civilly requested by the committee to make such changes in the draft as seemed to him desirable mr adams drew a line over the most eloquent parts of the oration they had before them and introduced those legal and historical authorities which appear on the record the reply prepared in this way and finally adopted by the assembly was longer and more erudite than mr hutchinson's address to meet the governor's major premise and thus undermine his entire argument legal precedents and the facts of history were freely drawn upon to prove that the colonies were properly outside of the realm and therefore although parts of the empire by virtue of being under the special jurisdiction of the crown not subject in all matters to parliamentary legislation law and history thus supported the contention contrary to the governor's assertion that a line not only could be but always had been drawn between the supreme authority of parliament and the total independence of the colonies apart from any question of law or fact the assembly thought it of high practical importance that this line should be maintained in the future as in the past for if there be no such line none could deny the governor's inference that either the colonies are vassals of the parliament or they are totally independent upon which the assembly would observe only that as it cannot be supposed to have been the intention of the parties in the compact that we should be reduced to a state of vassalage the conclusion is that it was their sense that we were thus independent with very few exceptions every one who was of the patriot way of thinking regarded the assembly's reply as a complete refutation of the argument presented in governor hutchinson's address in the governor's opinion the disturbed state of government to which he had referred in his address was at this time brought to the highest pitch by the committees of correspondence recently established throughout the province an event long desired and now brought to pass by samuel adams that something might be done by a co-ordinated system of local communities was an undigested thought that dropped from adams's mind while writing a letter to arthur lee in september seventeen seventy one at that time such was the general apathy of the people it would clearly be an arduous task for any man to attempt to awaken a sufficient number in the colonies to so grand an undertaking but samuel adams who thought nothing should be despaired of took upon himself the performance of this arduous task such committees if they were anywhere needed were certainly needed in massachusetts where the people labored under a state of perfect despotism daily submitting to be ruled by a native governor who refused to accept a grant from the general court received his salary from london and governed the province according to his instructions is it not enough asked valerius poplicola in the gazette to have a governor pensioned by those on whom his existence depends 
his life property and everything dear and sacred to be now submitted to the decisions of pensioned judges holding their places during the pleasure of such a governor and a council perhaps overawed confronted by so unprecedented a situation it occurred to samuel adams that perhaps mr hutchinson himself might be induced to come to his assistance late in seventeen seventy two he accordingly got the boston town meeting to present to the governor an address expressing great alarm at the establishment of salaries for judges and praying that the legislature which was to meet the second of december might not be prorogued it was possible that in replying the governor might take a high tone refusing the request as an interference with his own prerogative but as it was clearly the right of the people to petition for the governor to refuse would be samuel adams thought to put himself in the wrong in the opinion of every honest and sensible man the consequence of which will be that such measures as the people may determine upon to save themselves will be the more reconcilable even to cautious minds and thus we may expect that unanimity which we wish for the governor in a tone that might be called high did in fact object to the request as not properly a function of town meetings and thus furnished the occasion for organizing the committees which he thought so disturbing to the state of government it was on november two seventeen seventy two upon a motion of samuel adams that a committee was appointed by a town meeting and found new hall to state the rights of the colonies and of this province in particular as men as christians and as subjects to communicate and publish the same to the several towns in this province and to the world as the sense of this town with the infringements and violations thereof that have been or from time to time may be made requesting of each town a free communication of their sentiments on this subject the report of the committee adopted november twenty announced to the world that as men the colonists and those of massachusetts in particular were possessed of certain natural rights among them the right of life liberty and property and that inasmuch as men enter in society by voluntary consent they still retained every natural right not expressly given up or by the nature of the social compact necessarily ceded being christians as well as men the colonists enjoyed also those rights formulated in the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the christian church written and promulgated in the new testament lastly being englishmen the colonists were by the common law of england exclusive of all charters from the crown entitled and by the acts of the british parliament declared to be entitled to all the liberties and privileges of subjects born within the realm the infringements which had been made upon these rights although well known were once more stated at length and all the towns of the province were requested in case they agreed with the sentiments of the town of boston to unite in a common effort to rescue from impending ruin our happy and glorious constitution for its part the town of boston was confident that the wisdom of the other towns as well as their regard for themselves and the rising generation would not suffer them to dose or set supinely indifferent on the brink of destruction while the iron hand of oppression is daily tearing the choicest fruit from the fair tree of liberty 
moderate men might think in the winter of seventeen seventy three that the iron hand of oppression tearing the choicest fruit from the fairy tree of liberty was a figure of speech which did not shape itself with nice flexibility to the exact form and pressure of observable facts it is the limitation of moderate men to be much governed by observable facts and if the majority could not at once rise to the rhetoric of samuel adams it was doubtless because they had not his instinctive sense of the arch-conspirator's truly implacable enmity to america the full measure of this enmity mr adams lived in the hope of some day revealing it was of course well known that mr bernard had formerly written home letters most injurious to the province and in seventeen seventy there was abundant reason to be jealous as samuel adams writing on behalf of the town of boston assured benjamin franklin that the most mischievous and virulent accounts had been lately sent to administration from castle william no doubt from the commissioners of the customs conveying malicious and unfounded misrepresentations of america under the seal of official correspondence had indeed long been a favorite means of mending the fortunes of those decayed gentlemen and bankrupt politicians whose ambition it was to rise in office by playing the sycophant to some great man in england mr bernard had played this game and had been found out at it as every one knew but mr bernard was no american and it was scarcely to be imagined that mr hutchinson who boasted that his ancestors were of the first rank and figure in the country who had all the honors lavished upon him which his fellow-citizens had it in their power to bestow who professed the strongest attachment to his native country and the most tender feelings for its rights should be so lost to all sense of gratitude and public love as to aid the designs of despotic power for the sake of rising a single step higher this was indeed scarcely to be imagined yet samuel adams imagined it perfectly before there was any material evidence of the fact he was able by reasonable inference to erect well-grounded suspicions into a kind of working hypothesis mr hutchinson governor of the province was an enemy of liberty with many english friends he would be required by official duty and led by personal inclination to maintain a regular correspondence with high officials in england from which the conclusion was that thomas hutchinson professed friend of america was a traitor in secret alienating the affections of the king from his loyal subjects samuel adams knew this well and now after all these years the material evidence necessary to convince men of little faith was at hand under circumstances that might be regarded as providential thomas hutchinson was at last unmasked the prelude to this dramatic performance was pronounced in the massachusetts assembly one day in june seventeen seventy three by mr john hancock who darkly declared that within eight and forty hours a discovery of great pith and moment would be made to the house on the next day but one samuel adams arose and desired the galleries cleared as there were matters to lay before the members which the members only had a right to know of when the galleries were cleared he informed the house that certain letters written by high officials in the province and extremely hostile to the rights and liberties of america had been procured in england and transmitted to a gentleman who had in turn placed them in his mr adams's hands but with the strictest injunction that they be returned without being copied or printed mr adams had given his pledge to this effect 
and if the house would receive them on these terms he would be glad to read the letters no restriction having been placed on their being read they were read accordingly and a committee having been appointed to make recommendations it was at length resolved by the house of assembly that certain letters presented to it by mr samuel adams tended and were manifestly designed to undermine the constitution and establish a despotic power in the province the proceedings of the house being spread abroad it soon became everywhere known that only the pledged word of the house stood in the way of revelations highly damaging to the public character of governor hutchinson this outcome of the matter however gratifying to samuel adams did not satisfy governor hutchinson after there had been buzzed about for three or four months a story of something that would amaze everybody and these dark rumours being spread through all the towns in the province and everybody's expectations raised it was exasperating to his pragmatic nature to have nothing more definite transpire than that the something which would amaze everybody would in indeed amaze everybody if only it could be made known it should at least be made known to the person most concerned the governor therefore requested the assembly to furnish him copies of the letters which were attributed to him and declared by the house to be destructive of the constitution in reply the house sent certain dates only the house was of opinion that the governor could easily make authentic copies of whatever letters he had written at these dates if he had written any and such copies being furnished to the assembly might be published and the whole matter thus cleared up without violating the pledged word of any one with this request the governor refused to comply on the ground that it would be improper to reveal his private correspondence and contrary to instructions to reveal that of a public nature he would say however that he had written letters on the days mentioned but in these letters there was no statement of fact or expression of opinion not already well known what his opinions were the assembly and the world might very well gather from his published speeches and his history of massachusetts bay it could scarcely be maintained that he had ever lacked frankness in the expression of his opinions and while his opinions might be thought destructive of the constitution it was rather late to be amazed at them in any case the assembly was assured by the governor that his letters neither tended nor were designed to subvert but rather to preserve entire the constitution of government as established by the charter of the province a great many people besides the governor desired to see letters the substance of which could be so differently understood samuel adams probably preferred not to be forced to print them knowing their contents he may have thought that here was a case of those dangers which being known lose half their power for evil besides having pledged his word he wished to keep it yet the pressure of public opinion becoming every day greater was difficult to resist particularly by men who were firm believers in the wisdom of the people moreover it presently appeared that there was no longer any point in refusing to publish the letters inasmuch as mr hancock assured the house that men on the street were in some way not known possessed of copies some of which had been placed in his hands mr hancock's copies being found on comparison to be accurate rescripts of the letters which had been read in the house a committee was accordingly appointed to consider how the house might come into honourable possession of the originals from which committee mr hawley soon reported that samuel adams had informed them that the gentleman from whom he had received the letters now consented to their being copied seeing that they had already been copied and printed seeing that they were already widely circulated whereupon the house considering itself in honourable possession ordered the letters all published nevertheless it was thought expedient before issuing the letters to print and circulate such a series of resolves as might prepare the public mind for what was to come later 
this was accordingly done the resolves bearing date of june sixteenth seventeen seventy three indicated clearly and at length the precise significance of the letters declared it to be the humble opinion of the house that it was not to the interest of the crown to continue in high places persons who are known to have with great industry though secretly endeavoured to undermine alter and overthrow the constitution of the province and concluded by praying that his majesty would be pleased to remove forever from the government thereof the honourable andrew oliver and his excellency thomas hutchinson his majesty did not remove mr hutchinson but the governor's usefulness from every point of view was at an end when the notorious letters were finally printed it appeared that there were seventeen in all of which six were written by mr hutchinson in the years seventeen sixty eight and seventeen sixty nine these latter documents did not in fact add anything to the world's stock of knowledge but they had been so heralded ushered in with so much portentous explication that they scarcely needed to be read to be understood had they been chevy chased the governor said the people would have believed them full of evil and treason it was indeed the perfect fruit of samuel adams's labours that the significance of mr hutchinson's letters had in some manner become independent of their contents so awake were the people to the danger of being deceived that whatever the governor now said or ever had written was taken to be but the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen meanwhile the attention of all patriots was diverted from the letters to a far more serious matter and when on december sixteenth seventeen seventy three a cargo of the east india company's tea consigned among others to thomas and elisha hutchinson was thrown into boston harbour the great crisis which samuel adams had done so much to make inevitable by virtue of thinking it so was at last a reality it was a limitation of thomas hutchinson's excellent administrative mind that he was wholly unaware of this crisis in february of the next year finding that a little discreet conduct or indeed any conduct on his part was altogether without good effect the governor announced that he had obtained leave from the king to go to england on the first of june driving from his home to the foot of dorchester heights he embarked on the minerva and arrived in london one month later it was his expectation that after a brief absence when general gage by a show of military force should have brought the province to a reasonable frame of mind he would return and assume again the responsibilities of his office he never returned but died in england on june three seventeen eighty an unhappy and a homesick exile from the country which he loved End of chapter five part two